I don't know if it's something that feels like it's approaching with an onrushing consistency or more like a fits and starts, but the winter is giving way to the spring and to the summer. And I love those outdoor sounds, whether it's the wind blowing by, the sounds of people doing work outside or playing and laughing that are a pleasure to hear as I record this intro for episode number 95 of Storytelling with Seth. For this episode, I'm lucky enough to sit down with Mike Garley, who was introduced to me by Tony Farina. That's Mr. Tricycle Boombox. You know him over there at Indie Comics Spotlight on Comics in Motion. And he was so quick that I was able to set up this great conversation with Mike Garley to talk about his Samurai Slasher project on Kickstarter and how there's still time if it's something you want to be a part of. But it's not just about Samurai Slasher. There's so much more to consider, and there's some great stories we talk about, from late fees to the Samurai Cat, everything in between, and once again, how you can be a part of it if this is a story you think you want to contribute to. Join me now for a great conversation with Mike Garley. England. I've been horribly burned on a few occasions. I I had this group on there, all the... uh... Most of them are the audio side of this, um, what do they call it? Scripted audio. And they're doing a project called Unsinkable. And it's like a movie told through audio storytelling. And I swear, I got them all on. It was the first time they'd seen each other because of the, the shutdown. And they were all in different parts, somewhere in the US, somewhere in England still. And they just started quipping away. And I was like, I need to record this you jerks. This is all gold material. Like people would be like, eh, so now I've just learned early on, let's hit the record button. Let's uh, <laughs> get into it. And um, for everyone listening, thanks for joining for another great conversation. I'm lucky to suddenly, and this is again, all praise goes to uh, Tricycle Boombox, Mr. Tony Farina over there at Comics in Motion. He, he loves to send uh, gems my way, and today he has uh, introduced me to Mike, Mike Garley, and let me know that if I had the window available, there was a chance for me to get a conversation with him and get it posted, because right now he's in the midst of this amazing Kickstarter project, and Mike, that's what we're here to talk about. How you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. I don't think I've ever been described as a gem before, so I appreciate that. It's a great start. Um, <laughs> my pleasure, man. I, I'm here to uplift. Like, <laughs> as far as I believe, you've created something. And from what I've actually learned, just in the, the bit of time I've had to absorb what I can about Samurai Slasher, you've created quite a bit. So, uh, hey, man, you're, you're, you're one of those who's making the things that people are going to enjoy, like it's a gift. So yeah, you're a gem, man. Let's go ahead and just start it off right there. And you've got a hell of a project. Okay. So you've got this Kickstarter going on. Do do we talk about the Kickstarter first or do we talk about the content, which is the fact that you've got these three books you've already created that you're now combining into one for the Kickstarter? Where do you want to fire away first? It's a a mess really. Yeah. It's all right. (laughs) Um, well, maybe we'll start at the beginning. Like, where did this all begin? Samurai Slasher. Who is this guy and where did he come from? So Samurai Slasher is a, a comic I started writing, uh, I think it's like six or seven years ago now. And it's based on like a fake 80s slasher film about a samurai that goes on a killing spree. It's supposed to be fairly dumb, tongue in cheek. Uh, doesn't take yourself too seriously. Uh, but it, it basically stems from my love of kind of 80s horror and like the escapism and the joy it kind of brings. I just started telling these, these dumb stories and I made this first anthology, uh, expecting it not to be very popular. And it's just something that I would like and my friends would like. And it's different from the, this, most of the normal stuff I did. It was a lot less highbrow. It was a lot kind of... The best way to sum up is there's a, a scene in the first issue where the samurai hit someone who's holding a tray of champagne 
and there's a champagne sound effect like it's just, <laughs> it's just nonsense it's just stupid so it was just something different from what I normally went for and I didn't expect it to kind of resonate with so many people but it did um, and I think that's just because like people look back uh, at that time period you know when you were a different age and things were just easier and everyone looked back at it so fondly and they were just happy to kind of play with this type of stuff so yeah so that's the first book um i i love the fact that this was a departure from what you describe as your previous efforts which were highbrow so what were were you like you know uh reading rilke and then, and then like trying to <laughs> like you know um you know sitting down with like you know <laughs> i mean highbrow within the context of the conversation um i did a comic called the kill screen which kind of explored technology and our relationship with it and you know uh, religion and sociology and stuff and uh i did that so this was a departure from that but yeah no i'm not i'm not a highbrow creator by any any stretch of the imagination <laughs> but, but was... by comparison you had definitely gone more lowbrow with the uh, samurai slasher like you were clearly <laughs> aware that you had taken a step or two <laughs> in a different direction <laughs> yeah let's let's start this interview again why don't just call it lowbrow nonsense um no it's just it was just it's different it's just different samurai slash is supposed to just be fun escapism and i think like tonally that's what i was going for and i think that's why it resonated it didn't try to be anything too serious it didn't try to be anything you know anything more than that um but after the the first book after it was really popular um so i had i decided to do more because i loved it so much i then explored more important themes because i don't think i could write any i don't think any writer can really write anything without it being about something if you know what i mean so like more 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 topics and motifs and things come in so kind of um victim blaming we explore that explore you know various other elements as well dip, dip our toes into it but it, it remains it remains nonsense at heart um but yeah the second book was i think i described it i wrote this down earlier for a kickstarter update but we described the second book as bigger badder and 3 d um <laughs> yeah twice the size and we put a 3d story in there just because it kind of like it was just 80s. stupid <laughs> it, it worked. yeah it's such a like such a dumb gimmick at the time and like now the 3d stuff can actually look quite good right i mean it's only right. the one story just because it kind of felt fitting but um yeah so the second book um yeah that went well explored some different themes uh and then we kind of i i built it up to have the first book had like a a fairly definitive ending but when you're based on a slasher an ending is completely meaningless you can do whatever you want so the, the when i knew i was doing more i kind of worked in to have like a proper series arc um the the main character the main survivor from the first book it turned into kind of her arc really so we were kind of exploring her and that's where the victim blaming stuff com comes into it um so the, the third uh, but kind of introduced a big baddie who'd been mentioned before and kind of ties everything together fairly fairly neatly um taking various detours along the way um so that was yeah that was initially what it was so it was originally just a, a big comic it was me wanting to have my own horror sandbox and kind of um and do what i want with it um so that's what samurai slasher was at first but like i don't just write comics i did my my master's is uh script writing um and i've done various other things since so i wanted to have this character that i can do different things with so i think what what did i do so we did a you know like the uh the choose your own adventure books yeah i did a survive your own adventure book like with right. the Samurai so it's basically it just it just seemed to suit it do you know what i mean it, <laughs> it um, really does especially yeah. survive <laughs> yeah, but yeah you basically just gotta try and get to the end of the the story and uh yeah writing that was was hell um that was probably one of my biggest writing like the, the branching narrative that you've got to do it wasn't a, a big book by any stretch of your imagination it was i don't know 150 pages around that mark but like so much effort so much admin to write a book and to make sure it kind of it all flowed together um so I, I did that um I, I was really proud of that really happy with that book uh so much work but really loved it um I did a semi-autobiographical comic, which was about me. It was it's a weird one because it's a departure. It's not like part of the Samurai Slasher world, but it's about my relationship like with my father, which is kind of talks about um, my love of 
uh, like the, the VHS experience, being a kid and going to Blockbuster and, you know, that was a big part of my life. I'd go and do that with my dad um, and it would talk about me and my dad's relationship, but it used the Samurai Slasher as kind of a, a manifestation of our relationship and, and what happened. Um, so I, I wrote that that comic and that as a one-off and that that did really, really well critically, which was nice uh, because it meant we had these really kind of really like highbrow reviews for yeah. what was a really, really dumb franchise, which I was really proud of because the, the book really meant a lot to me. Um, I mean, the main the main slasher does as well, but they're, they're two different entities. It's, uh, yeah, so it's really rewarding and it felt really kind of uh, therapeutic to do that. And uh, the, the, the comic seemed to resonate with people as well, which was good because it was kind of, kind of a bit of a worry when you create something which is supposed to be seen as dumb fun and then you give some one something that's kind of like a, a tearjerker it's like <laughs> i don't know is this the same audience is it going to annoy people are they going to be happy with it but people seem to enjoy it which was nice um so yeah after after the comic what else was there after the comic, oh i did a uh a, a drinking game basically a, a social rpg um so me and my friends like doing uh board games and whatnot and we i kind of started working on this idea of making a like a one and done so you, you play with your friends um so it's a, a bit like the the, the book the surviving adventure book where some one person will narrate and play as a slasher and everyone else has to just try and survive the experience which <laughs> right is what hanging out with me is kind of like anyway um but yeah so we i started working on that pre covid and then covid happened and it was like i shelved it for a bit and i thought actually this is a really good opportunity to do something online with my friends have a reason to kind of you know play test this thing and um yeah we, we got a lot of play out of it we fine-tuned it a lot and um i i, I can't wait to get out there it's, it's going to be out for the first time um as long as this kickstarter is successful it's going to be part of that um so i'm really excited to see what, what people think of that but um yeah i've done done various things with it, it it's just really personal property to me that I've, I've been able to play with in, in various different medium um so yeah that's uh i was gonna say the slasher in a nutshell but that was a really long speech that's a big slasher. nutshell man that's like a gigantic that's like you know house size nutshell <laughs> uh, that's a lot to uh encompass but there, there's so much great stuff that i can follow up on so for starters one of the things that caught my attention was so in the first book if it's kind of like a you know uh, as you said, it's a slasher, so it can have an ending, but you know that there's always a, you know, a chance for something else. You know, what essentially sets off the samurai slasher? Like, how is it that he goes on the murderous spree? Do we just catch him in a moment where he's like, so this is me killing stuff and, and there's no reason giving? Or was there something that sort of sets him off where suddenly you're like, oh, okay, he's got whatever the nonsensical reason might be. There's a method to his own madness that sets him off on the murderous spree, or is he just hack and slash because he woke up that day it's kind of a bit of both i kind of wanted to get straight into the meat of the story so he it starts the story and it, he he comes back basically because someone has stolen his sword from the museum and he's just come to get his sword back and it's you know it just means it's a bit like zombie storytelling it doesn't matter where it's from we just want to get straight into kind of the story itself we want to get straight into kind of like the, the heart and the emotion of, of, of things that's going on so that was kind of what happened in the first one he kind of just appears out of nowhere they talk about his legend they the the second story talks about the legend of the samurai sasha so it's set in feudal japan and it kind of deals with a little bit about how this this ominous person that we never kind of learn the identity of becomes the slasher at least in part um and he just appears and then at the end he kind of just goes again so when I did a second book and I, I made it a bit more fleshed out a little bit more, um, that's when I kind of added a bit more kind of uh, story to it. So it's kind of he'd been waiting for his mortal enemy um, to return to Earth. He, he tried to escape him and then okay. he, he found out he was coming back. So. It does sound ridiculous when I say it out loud, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> No, it sounds awesome. I, what I'm thinking of is when you're writing the second one, because now you've made a choice to write a second one, are you thinking, hey, at the end of the first one, I thought it might have been one and done. With the second book, I already know there's always a possibility for a third. Were you, were you already writing in that direction when you were working on the second book? Or Yeah, no, I, I knew there'd be a third. Um, like the majority of the stuff I write is kind of creator-owned, so 
I get to choose what I work on. And as long as it's not going to financially break me, as long as I can make, you know, enough money to continue, then I, then I will, I've got the freedom to choose what I want to do. Um, and the first book was, was popular enough that I knew I'd be able to, you know, continue it for, for a little while longer, at least. So I, I plan to do the, the, the two books, um, knowing that even if I made a loss, it wouldn't be enough that my wife would leave me for <laughs> she hasn't so far right so, yeah no so, i did i did write the second one knowing there was a third one coming that was the plan at that point the first one it was like i hope people like this if not i've enjoyed doing it and the second third one i was like look i can i can do more now with that now i know that there's a market i can tell the stories i want to tell and go and have more fun doing it um which is exactly what i did so is there a possibility of a fourth fifth six book in the future could could it could happen right it's not outside the realm of possibility it's well another another yes to no answer which is makes me probably the worst person for an interview i like stories to have an end so like the that samurai slasher story has ended however i i do intend to do a new samurai slasher series so it'll be like um like a, like a soft reboot basically so i'm going to start the, the, the story and it'll go to more conventional so these have all been like anthology graphic novels which is why it's a, a big collection so i'm going to start going individual issues and tell a different story and kind of explore different elements um so i'm going to deal a little bit with the new samurai slasher it's going to be using the slasher as kind of a curse and dealing with um <sighs> not so much conspiracy theories but more the fear that our loved ones could have become intoxicated with specific conspiracy theories is the thought that anyone you know at any point can suddenly like you you, you find out on facebook or whatever they're starting to agree with insert whatever ridiculous conspiracy theory you like it's kind of that idea that anyone could be um infected by this ideology um so it's kind of using the slasher in that way and i'm not i'm not going to look at any particular incident um but i just i just think that's fascinating i think the way that technology and communication is moving and evolving i think it kind of really kind of it gives us some really interesting things to play with so i think taking that and then stabbing it into you know conventional horror narrative um should make for a really interesting story um while still maintaining that it's just a dumb book about a big samurai um so that, that's I, <laughs> I do i do want to do that series i've got artists in mind but it's it's very much you know finishing this getting this tied off and then moving into the next thing but i, I love the slash and i love horror um i i think horror is one of those those mediums where you can really get into I think with horror you get to explore human emotion. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's it's the best genre for that. I think sci-fi, it's a while of sci-fi and horror. I think sci-fi you get to explore the world, horror you get to explore the individual. Um, so I just yeah, I want to keep doing stuff like that. And that's I, I'm fascinated by people. Um, we we're, we're so weird. So weird. <laughs> we uh, we we really really are. But I love that you're you know you. I love that you're going, yeah, yeah, I'm probably a terrible interview for giving a yes and no, but dude, it's a, it's a perfect Schrodinger's cat, right? Like it could be one or it could be the other. And the, the fun thing is for anyone listening, you, you're now giving them an opportunity to potentially be a part of making sure that those next stories can happen. The success of this Kickstarter can, you know, be the sort of engine that provides all the momentum financially and otherwise to then go on to this next series. But, you know, you want to point on guaranteeing the success of this one, getting as much success as you can out of it. And for anyone who wants to participate, man, I'm just going to say, this is your chance to choose your own adventure as well. Like you have an opportunity right now to say, hey, this is a project I want to back because not only A, do I want to enjoy these collected for me with all the perks and bells and whistles that go with them. But if I'm part of that, then... I can be a part of its success, guaranteeing this other set of stories that, come on, Mike, you just perfectly teased for anyone who's like, I'd read that. I'd read that. <laughs> so, hey, if you if that's you, this is your moment. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. We're going to schedule it so there will still be time left to join this Kickstarter. And 
trust me at the end, I'll make sure Mike has a chance to explain how you can do all that and, and uh, you know, play whatever part you wish to in this uh, Choose Your Own Adventure narrative we're talking about. So <laughs> as I keep thinking about it though, um, you know, I'm loving the fact that you're talking about this being an opportunity to sort of just cut loose with the samurai slasher and, you know, enjoying the success that came from it. And then using that to also then delve into a really personal narrative, which you were describing, you know, with your dad in, in your next project. And one of the things that caught my attention with that is, you know, it, it's bad enough to create something and be vulnerable while putting it out there for other people to judge, silly or not. Like it, you, you're, you're simply exposing yourself the moment you create something and give it to the world and say, all right, it's there, you know, say what you're going to say. But then when you, you delve into something that's even more personal, there, there's a lot of risk involved just because of how much more vulnerable you have to become in, in order to expose that part of yourself. You know, you're dealing with father-son relationships. You're dealing with a, a lot of things that can, you know, uh, be part of a, an extensive history. And you're trying to capture that in a, a finite form, like a written project or drawn or written. And then you're also, you know, trying to be aware of the fact that there's a lot of great values, you know, are coming from this story. You, you turn that around, and you give that to people. It's a different experience than saying, hey, here's, here's a samurai slasher. And then here's something deeply personal about me and my father. You know, in both instances, you're, you're trusting that you've got something that you know you want to communicate to people and you want to hear what they have to say about it. Yeah, Late Fees was definitely the hardest, uh, hardest anything I've ever given to anyone else to read. Um, I was, I think most creatives, when, they're, when they put work out there, they are scared to hear what people think first. There's not a lot of people who are like, I can't wait to hear what you say. The first <laughs> people, it's normally fear, abject terror. Um, but late fees, it, it, I, I struggled for a while because it was such a personal thing. It was kind of like, yeah, it felt like if they didn't like it, like this is a, a big part of what defines me as a person. Um, so it was very difficult. I mean, I know, I know most of us have some of ourselves in what we create anyway. It's just part of, of creating content. But late fees was a, a big old chunk. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very difficult difficult to get it out there but people i had a lot of great feedback from people that i trust who were like this is this is my favorite thing that you've done so that helped um yeah see it seems to do well late fees is i've done late fees differently to everything else because normally you just you you do a book or a comic or, or whatever it is and it's just available forever but late fees because of what it is, I have I've done a print run of six hundred and sixty six copies because you know I love a cliche, um, and I haven't I haven't made it available digitally. Digitally, it's it's physical, uh, physical comic only, and because it's separate to the main slasher, it's not in the collected edition either. So it's a, a separate entity altogether because I want it to be almost kind of you know reminiscent of of the VHS store experience where you have to physically own it and it's that you know that that tangible um, item. So. Yeah, so I, I've, I've definitely got a different relationship with that book. Um, it was it was a, a fun experiment to do, and I'm really glad I've done it. And I, I've, it makes me happy knowing that there's just going to be those 666 copies out there. Um, so, you know, even if everyone else who hates it, uh, who reads it apart from my friends hate it, that's not going to be too many people. So that's quite reassuring. <laughs> You're controlling, you know, exactly... <laughs> how many can respond and I'm, I'm curious now because you've you've uh, given me an opportunity to talk about how is it that you know you've been able to get these into the hands of people so that they can enjoy them has your process always been through uh, a kickstarter like platform or uh, when slasher uh, slasher samurai and then later late fees were introduced how are you getting them to the public? How are they accessing them? And uh, what has that been like? So, um, yeah, I've, I've used Kickstarter before um, a fair bit too much. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Like, it's amazing because you, you have an audience that you can't reach elsewhere. So, like, I love it, but it, it's real hard work. Um, but I, I do a lot of uh, comic cons. Um, so there's a fair few in the UK um, I've done ECC uh, Seattle Comic Con before um, 
so you know there's, there's nice ways nice shows you can go to get them um some some stores and shops in in england have them um i think the first couple of samurai sashi books are actually on, on comicsology um so they are they are available um but it's normally yeah normally at comic cons really i would say is the place where I find the, the the biggest audience for it because like it's so competitive it's so hard to kind of find your market but when you're at a place and there's 70,000 people and you've got the comics are fairly striking the the title you kind of get an idea um you know it's like you're trying to sell the, the concept quickly and samurai sasha is very much like there's a, a, a big bulking samurai on the front it's called samurai slasher if you are interested in 80 horror 80s horror or anything like that you're going to be like hey what's what's this about and then it's you know it's easy to know you're either into it or you're not um right <laughs> so it's got a fairly good kind of hit bait with people who who stop and talking about it because then they flick through it and i've been really privileged to have some incredible artists work on it um so yeah it, i think comic con has been been the main seller um which is why Late fees was one what I knew would be a, a harder sell because you know someone they'll, they'll pick it up and they'll be like, oh great is it like this one and I'm like no this is a semi autobiographical story about my troubled past with my father which features <laughs> a killer samurai and um, yeah that's a bit of a, a bit of a like it takes them a second to to comprehend it um, but yeah I, I have bond I had bundles for sale um, when I had all, all three books so people would pick it all up together and then it's always nice my, my favorite thing about doing comic cons is when you go meet people and you talk to them and you talk about you know whatever you talk about storytelling or horror or comics or books or whatever and then they they buy something called it's when they come back to you again and they let you know what they think like i really enjoyed this or it'd be cool if this and that's my favorite part it's kind of interacting with people once they've they've interacted with what you've created um and I don't, you don't get that experience anywhere else. Um, so yeah, it's comic cons are the best for me. I, I really missed them. I didn't think I would because there's so much hard work, but I really missed them like the last year and a half or so. Well, I, I, I appreciate that there's a connection between, you know, the work you would have to put in at a comic con compared to the work that you're putting in on a Kickstarter. They're both labors of love. Like at some point you you're fully aware that you're either at, well, I can just give up or I can just keep working at this thing that I love. And, and nine times out of 10, it, it sounds like you ended up falling into the, I'm just going to finish this thing. And then eventually you just know it's hard work. And you just sort of like, I know this is going to be hard work. Some it's going to suck. Some it's going to be tedious. But you know, when you're building something great, it's not all like splash, wonderful, look, some glitter and done. You know, like you actually have to put a foundation in place. You have to think about, what people need and how they're going to get it and access it. Um, so I appreciate that, you know, you're, you're well aware of the hard work and that's almost, you know, part of what you're missing through the comic cons, but you're also able, able to invest a lot of work into uh, Kickstarter. I love that you also gave me an in right now because you talked about how at comic con you can share the books and you've got some eye catching art, which gives us a chance to talk about your art team because you know, I can now get a chance to sort of know your role on the book, which it sounds like mostly on the writing side, and then what your collaboration has been like with the art team from books one through three, and, uh, you know, any sort of like things you want to talk about with that, and then also uh, with the art team for uh, Late Feeds, and, you know, how do you meet these, how did you meet these artists, and how were they a part of the first three books as well as Late Feeds? So I've been I've been doing comics for quite a while now, about 10, 12 years. So I I knew of enough people before I started and seven people, several people that I was looking for opportunities to work with. Um so Samurai Slash I, I approach people straight away having in mind who I wanted to work with for it. Um so yeah, it's it's a really extensive list of, of creators. So there's a lot of kind of um you know, image and Marvel and DC creators, people who work on Star Wars and whatnot within the books. It's a really nice high quality team. Um, a lot of them at the time weren't doing those books. This was kind of, you know, depending where they were on the trilogy before they were doing it. Um, and there's a lot of independent guys as well. So there's a really kind of um, a real broad spectrum of styles within the story. And I tried to write with artists in mind. 
Um, so some of them would be because there's people I wanted to work with or they just had a particular style I wanted. Uh, so yeah, I, I wrote the entire book and I edited it, which basically just meant I oversaw kind of getting the artwork in and getting the, the lettering done and, and the colouring. It's kind of part and parcel normally for a writer to do that. Um, I didn't, none of it was a chore because I was just working with lots of incredible people. It's one of the things I love most about uh, working in the comic industry. You just get to choose who you work with. So you work with some really nice people. Mm. Um, Lucas, the guy who did Late Feast, I saw his artwork online and he's a Polish artist. So it has a really kind of like, weird independent feel to it um and i loved it straight away and i was like i don't know how much it suits the conventional samurai sasha because it's just a little bit too kind of left field um so i kind of I, we were chatting and i was saying i'd love to work with you and then i had this idea and for some reason i thought do you know what going with an, an unusual art style for this probably would work better because it gives you a little bit of separation um from like the reality of it um so that people are not it's not like they're blindsided but it's a bit like i don't know if you've read mouse or you know of mouse where it's talking about like, oh yeah yeah it's a little bit like that where you've got that that level of, of separation and it kind of disassociation because you can use yeah. personification through an, another example like animals like he did absolutely yeah so i i kind of thought it could help um You've made me sound a lot more clever by that answer. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, so, uh, you were yeah. doing it by yourself. I was just exactly. having fun filling in gaps. <laughs> word for word is exactly what I thought. But yeah, no, right. I, I was looking at this excuse and it just seemed to suit him. So he did that and then he's done like this, uh, like the big cover image art, which has kind of like all the different characters on as well. And um, I got him to another because I wanted him to be part of the main book because how I, I feel he's important to the series in my eyes. I wanted to have him in the collect edition. So um, I then wrote another story um, where we, we utilize his artwork in there as well. <clears throat> so yeah, I've got to work with loads of incredible people. Um, yeah. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun kind of having ideas for story and finding the right people for it. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with the following ads and then bring you right back to our conversation. So that's was... probably a part of the whole thing. <laughs> I was curious about that because, you know, that's a, that's an interesting challenge when you get into the idea of like, okay, more often than not, if you look at comic companies, when you're trying to submit something, even they're, they're looking for a combo. They're, they're looking for a writer with an artist. They're, they're looking for things maybe that have already been sketched out for a few pages or panels to give an idea of what, what you're saying that this art and writing are going to look like together and finding that other half, if you're trying to look, you know, it's like trying to be a couple's, you know, ice dance skater, you know what I mean? Like you need that person that's going to fit with you. Otherwise the two of you are going to be either button heads or working in different directions or not able to communicate um, because there could be the nuances of things like style. So you're able to, you know, it sounds like when you were able to see different artists, you could see things and go that. I, I, I think you could draw a slashing samurai quite well. <laughs> and I have ideas because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm imagining what it's like to then present that to, uh, to an artist when you're pitching. Because I love the example that you use with late fees. You know, you're, you're using a different style of art, something that's not traditional to talk about um, material that's could be delicate personal, however the, the terms you wanted to describe it and define it as. Um, but yeah, I, I was also reminded of the fact that, uh, oh, and I've got the book on my shelf and I want to see it so that I can just recall it. But it's the, uh, you know, understanding comics. And he's, you know, he's pointing out the idea of when you look at art styles, you can see the degrees of realism that are available. And there's an importance for when too realistic is so jarring with the, the material and the story being told that it can be more important to pull away from the realism to a certain degree. And then because of that, you, you have this disconnect that allows the reader to enter the story without feeling it like, oh man, <laughs> this is a lot. And it's really, it's really hard to you know, separate what I'm feeling from what I'm experiencing and reading and, and trying to understand. So I, I love that idea that you were describing about late fees 
and and that understanding and then also what it was like to to look for an artist for something like you know slasher samurai where you're like okay no for this i need i need gore i need 80s <laughs> i need vhs experience i need have you seen cobra i need to know if you've seen big trouble in little china i need to know if you know what i mean like you're going through a list of things where it's like I, I need to understand what your value is behind <laughs> certain stuff because you've got the idea maybe with the art that you're seeing, but then you also want to see if this person is even going to respond to that. Because if you make a pitch to them and they're like, wow, that's the kind of thing I'm always hoping to avoid. You're like, wow, okay. So that was the wrong guy. <laughs> but the other guy who's like, uh, yeah, you know, I've got Tango and Cash in my VCR. <laughs> I've watched it 16 times today you know like you're like okay so i think we can talk i think <laughs> we can have a conversation so uh, i love the idea of you know that adventure and, and what it was like to meet these different artists and how for a lot of them and some still are but they were independent they hadn't you know sort of gotten onto the scene the way they have in fact it it's interesting for me because the art in uh in one of the examples that's described there was a moment where i felt like i saw a tinge of uh invincible omni-man uh, between the style of the face and the mustache and the, the silver right around the uh, the ears and I thought to myself I'm, I'm I'm recognizing a whole slew of different artists that was the first one where I could I identify it to a property um, but also that in the in that same recognition something that cracked me up was that one of the stories that's included in this collection is a duel with Santa now <laughs> I have to point this out because when I was like junior high, my friend, who I still think is an extremely talented artist, but he never pushed it beyond a certain degree. He came up with this like terrorizing slasher bunny character who uh, is terrorizing a town. And then later he drew one out where it was the slasher bunny terrorizing a town while Santa's visiting at Christmas. And it's the slasher bunny versus Santa. And that was, for me, one of my first introductions to the concept of Fight Santa. But along the way, I've seen a few examples of, like, Santa gets down and dirty with, you know, <laughs> some sort of nemesis. And I was curious, where did yours spin out of? Had you seen a few examples like that where you were like, oh, yeah, Slasher Samurai is going to fight Santa. I, somebody else tried to do it, but no, nah, Slasher Samurai is going to do it. And you're going gonna... to... Um... No, it was just, it was just, there was an artist I wanted to work with. There was, it was Christmas. I thought, let's just put out an extra story. So it wasn't part of any of the collected editions. This is like one of the extra, I think there's like eight extra stories or six extra stories that are going in it. And this is one of them. And it, it's Samurai Sasha versus Santa. Um, it, it was literally that idea. And it, was, it is a really stupid story. It, it's <laughs> as stupid as it can be. But it was for Christmas. So it's for the kids, really. It's not for me. Right. Um, it's for the kids. That's the. Yeah, it was, it was just a really stupid, like, three page story of, of um, Samurai being there to fight, Samurai Slash being there to fight Santa for some particular reason. But everyone seems to point that one out. And I think, like, I think there's, like, a really dumb um, uh, Predator, Predator quote on it as well, on it, like, the preview artwork. Just because it's something my friend always used to say, and it made it made me laugh, so I put it on there as kind of like an in little joke, and everyone just always points that out. <laughs> I should just use nothing but commander and predator lines from now on, and then, you know. Well, you've 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 got an audience that is well aware. <laughs> You're well aware has an affinity for the VHS era, and come on, man, like yeah, Predator and Commando were two of the big ones. Not only do they both feature Arnold, but. <laughs> They were like mainstays in any action, you know, aficionados like VHS collection. That was just a, it was pretty much a given. But it's also a really nice in to talk about the fact that in addition to the three books, the three main uh, samurai slasher books, uh, you have an opportunity to get stories that were never collected before that that are actually uh, a part of this Kickstarter package. One of them being uh, Samurai Slasher versus uh, Santa. <laughs> are there any others that you would love to just sort of give a tip of the hat or a nod to and say, hey, there's a, you know, this is what they are, or these are uh, things I, I'd love to share just because hearing them sometimes is different than reading them and they'll get to read them again when they go to the Kickstarter page. Yeah, there's a, there's a few different ones in there. So we've, I've done like a couple of times where I was asked to submit uh, work for charities. Um, so like I've, I've, I've put Samurai Slasher in there, made dumb little standalone stories. So there's one, um, I saw some like meme images of 
um, there's a show called Antiques Roadshow. Um, and it was kind of like a fake mock-up thing. It was like a, a, a mirror that as soon as you look at it, it's worthless, a million pounds. Just really stupid things. So I, I had this idea of this really weird antique house where someone was selling off, you know, uh, the, the samurai shurikens where he goes in there. So um, they're selling, uh, what was it, ba- baby shoes never worn. Uh, you know, the Ernest Hemingway six-word story thing. So... Well, I had this idea so he goes in there and there's techno Nazis trying to bid on his shurikens but he has to come back because he won't allow techno Nazis to have his equipment because it's, it's his anyway um, it, yeah it, it really is a stupid it really is a stupid book and that was for charity um, so there's that one there's another charity one which was uh, based on um, which was raised for uh, like COVID release uh, really basically so it's on the theme of isolation so it's a samurai sasha it's this cabin by the lake um and he's waiting for for people to appear teens young teens to appear by the lake and they don't um so it's just it's sad samurai basically um yeah again awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um we did another one this was a, a, a web comic which was like uh based on like golden era uh like war comics and whatnot uh and the samurai sasha kind of as a Halloween special that comic, the Samurai Slasher appeared like as a Scooby-Doo type villain. Mm-hmm. So that's in there as well. Uh, and then we made two new comics for it. We made the one with Lucas, which deals with there's clinical drug trials where he goes in and, and attacks, which is why we've got Lucas's crazy style because it works with mushrooms growing out of people and whatnot. <laughs> and then we have another one, which is a, a fairly substantial one by a guy called Alex Dioto. Um, and that kind of starts to recontextualize the Samurai Slasher towards what the next series would be. So it kind of deals with the idea of because Samurai Slasher kind of plays with uh, so many cliches and so many things that people kind of expect and love that this is all just an idea to raise marketing for the idea of the Samurai Slasher as a, you know, uh, as a curse basically so the more people that are aware of it the easier it is to infect them with it in the future so it kind of ends the book but sets up the concept for the next material so yeah there's a fair few things to lob into it um but yeah as, as you can hear they're just it's just stupid i don't it, it's embarrassing that i'm asking people for money for this because it's so stupid but it's so much fun i i can <laughs> distinctly remember seventh or eighth grade I, I stumbled because I was just a library rat. Like I, I know kids are like, oh yeah, I was a this rat. I, I was a library rat. Like it was it was my place where I could go. I, I think they would let me get up to like 10 or 12 books at a time. And I just loved the, you know, Jesus out of it. And one of the books that I would, because there was a few that I would go and check them out a couple of times because it was just that good. There was a book called uh, The Samurai Cat. <laughs> and the oh yes oh yes and the samurai cat had one sort of big story but then it also had a couple of collected stories and in like in one of them it's like basically indiana jones and the temple of doom insert the samurai cat and just all these sort of riffs like poking jabs at the director and why there's the blonde and what's she doing there and you know the sidekick who's like you know my name is racially inappropriate as well as my identity and caricature and 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 the whole time there would just be the ridiculousness of you know absurdity just going through it but I loved it for me it was as you described at the beginning of this it was escapism but it was also for me just a fun way to take the reins off and say, wait, you can't do that. And the book's like, actually I can. And I'm well aware of those of you who might want to complain and I'm doing it anyway. And there's a freedom in that because I remember at times I would, I would teach and bring in some writing to uh, let's say like high school seniors. And I would have some fun. I remember I brought in some Roger Ebert uh, reviews. And if you want to hear some or read somebody just trash a bad movie, he took apart Transformers and I remember described it as a vomit of spewed metal <laughs> twisted in a contortion of all this different stuff. And they were like, I've never read anyone who writes like this. And I'm like, sometimes writers can have a lot of fun with their medium. And that's a gift you should consider. You know, writing can feel like a chore, but at the same time, it can be this wonderfully freeing experience where you can let yeah. your imagination go. And, and if you show that people that is possible, 
who knows what they might explore in and of themselves. So I, I love to celebrate it for that reason too. <laughs> I, I think personally for me, I think when my writing, in my opinion, really leveled up was when I stopped trying to please others. And I was just like, look, I want to write these things. Um, and like a lot of the stuff I do, you know, will touch on topics, but it doesn't have to. I can do whatever I want. If I'm doing this thing and it's kind of, you know, pure and I'm doing it because I want to do it, people should like it because it should be kind of, you know, enjoyable. It's when you, like I, I, I uh, teach script writing and, and whatnot. And it's kind of when you talk about structure and all of those elements and you read or watch something and you can just tell it's literally going beat by beat how it should be. That's kind of the death of invention when things are just following all of these rules. You don't have to, you can have fun, you can do what you want, you should just try and please yourself. Um, I'm always I'm always of the mind that if something is, isn't working, that's when you go back and look at, you know, structure and all of like the, the classic philosophy. Until then, do do whatever you want. Otherwise, we're all just going to tell the same stories. So yeah, I definitely think, you know, that, that ties into my whole philosophy of just trying to write write what pleases you i think samurai slasher is just just dumb because i think it's funny and i enjoy it and i think it's got heart um so yeah, that's yeah yeah oh, <laughs> plus you know i mean well for starters one 30 60 90 120 you just made me laugh with that whole like structure thing on the whole script thing because i always remember hearing people saying like well by 30 pages you got to have this and by 60 this has to happen and by 90 if you're not there well, what's happening by 120 like <laughs> how have you <laughs> and when you were talking about structure i just remembered somebody saying that like hey you know you got to be aware there's people that are going to only communicate with you with this sort of like framework of understanding um, what I also love is the idea that if you can, you know, stop trying to please others, if you can have fun with what you're doing and recognize that there is also a power in, you know, telling the, uh, the nonsense, because through that, you have the freedom, as you said, to touch on whatever topic you want. I mean, remember, there's a reason why people laud Shakespeare's fool. Because when he would speak up, you know, he would drop those wonderful moments where you're like, ooh, you know, you can only get away with that if you're a certain kind of person. There's a reason why Deadpool can have two movies now in which he says some stuff that people are like. And it's like, yeah, because, you know, you've got a mouthpiece that's already been given license by breaking so many rules up to this point, which then means you can move freely around all these different topics and say what you want about them or touch on them through the lens of this character and address them or not any way you choose to. That's an immense freedom that, you know, <laughs> yeah. is, a, is a powerful possibility that's disguised in like, oh yeah, it's just slasher. It's just, you know, it's just one thing. But when it's really doing what it wants to, it, it doesn't have to be just one thing. It can touch on it as much as it wants to, or it can go, eh, <laughs> yeah no I was I, I, I was worried about kind of adding these extra elements in for that reason you know people along for a certain ride and experience and you, you suddenly there's an arc on, on victim blaming and stuff I was like I wonder if people are gonna you know if the audience are gonna turn on me but n no one did um <laughs> you're still here but yeah 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 so I, I, I think you're right I think it, it does kind of as long as you set it up and it's honest to itself and it's not kind of forced into it, if it benefits the narrative and it doesn't, you know, come completely out of left field and the people are there for it. People are there to kind of explore these topics, regardless if they agree with them or like them or not. I think as long as it's honest and, you know, true, um, I think it could do some good and people are, are happy to listen to it. I think now we're stumbling into that great thing that so many people want and they're worried about, which is the whole authenticity argument. You know, how is it that it's coming from, you know, a real place? It's like, well, <laughs> it addresses, you know, in this example, we're talking about something that, that's aware of itself. And, and because of that, it's not taking itself too seriously, nor should its opinions on certain things be taken too seriously based on what a character say. It's simply a, an opportunity to hear something that can make light of, you know, some things that, I mean, we take the world pretty seriously. We have reasons to at times, and that's important to do so. But we're also encouraged to laugh for all the healthy responses it gives to us. So we're reminded also that for all the serious, for all the, you know, life and death, there's also those things which we're like, 
you know, for all that going on, when I'm stuck in a red light in my car, guess what? I'm stuck in a red light in my car. There, there is no reasoning with that. And, and when suddenly after the red light turns, you pull forward five feet and then a train goes by and you're stuck for another so much indeterminate amount of time. The, these are those moments when you're like, hey, buddy, sometimes life's just absurd. Okay. Sometimes I go to get a plate out of the cupboard and six things come tumbling down and it's a nightmare happening. And what you, you want me to, <laughs> you want me to reason that out? You want me to explain what happened? Would you like me to have a serious conversation? <laughs> Sometimes there is just absurdity in life. And when those things happen, man, have a chuckle, have a good laugh. Like, <laughs> well, Life is weird. Exactly. So yeah, I think so, it's, it definitely takes that concept of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, the best thing I think is when I'm talking about something like this is being fully aware of the fact that there's so many pieces involved with your Kickstarter, like with so many other great projects that, you know, when you're packaging them up like this, it, it's more than just uh, the three books that are collected. It's the added stories. Uh, if I'm correct or not, um, there's the is uh, late fees also one of the options, depending on where you that's collected yeah, as well in this package, yeah, correct? I, I'll do a, a chart because there's so much stuff. So yeah, you can you can get the, the book digitally. Uh, you can get late fees. You can get the Five Year Adventure book. You can get the game. You can get uh, your name within the book. There's a uh, soundtrack. There's a, yeah, we did a. Oh, it's it's really good. It's really good. I commissioned um, this guy I know, and he he did the first three soundtracks for the first three, and then we commissioned him to do an extra one. So it's like a 21 track soundtrack, and it's really good. Um, nice. I could, I can send you a file and you could, I don't know if you could put it on. Um, totally. On if you want to. Play yeah, it. I, the I, really uh, I would use it as the intro and outro music for the podcast. And then I'm also, I'll at some point edit this into a video one and I can use the music throughout it. No problem at all. Um, and uh, I'll make sure and credit the the list for, you know, all the contributors and all that for anyone. That's, that's awesome, man. That's great. So here's the thing I got to keep in mind. Like I'm trying to talk about all this and, and Tony just introduced us a couple of days ago. So my hope is always that I cover as much as possible, but no matter how prepared I think I am for an interview, that doesn't mean that I'm going to cover everything. A, I wanted to cover because that's just how the brain works. Um, and B, there's always the chance that I'm talking about all this stuff and you're like, that's great. But you're not asking that one question, which I wish one of these days people would ask. So I love to flip it around, just be like, hey, man, A, is there something I didn't address that's a great point that we should cover? Or B, is there always that question that you're like, one of these days they're going to ask that and I got the answer. And boy, boy, oh, boy, because <laughs> I want to leave that possibility open. Not really. It's, it's nice to talk about the slash in kind of a, a, a deeper sense, um, which we have done, which normally isn't touched upon. Um yeah, lots of people just kind of go down in the minutiae of the, the story. So it's nice to talk about kind of like the evil feeling and, you know, horror in the world in general. So now I'm, I'm happy we've covered everything. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I, I know we can get into a lot of details and I'm always worried that, you know, then I, I, I'm, I'm especially early on. I was so quick to like, yeah, here's that spoiler thing I'm not supposed to talk about. And then I did blah, blah, blah. And then there, there's that awkward, okay, how do we fix that thing I just did? But also, when you're talking about a body of work like this, man, like, you know, I, I could get nitty gritty with each one of them, but I think there's also keeping in mind all of it as, as a whole, especially because usually when there's a project, there's an intention. But then when you get into two or three, those intentions change, like the whole philosophy, the whole thinking that goes into it and behind it. So I, I love hearing that part because the whole concept of my podcast is about storytelling. And when I talk with creators, what I love to hear is the process. I, I'm not going to have the same experience as you, but when I'm working on a writing project, I'm oftentimes going to experience the same struggles. I'm going to experience the same successes. And anyone else listening who knows what that's like, sometimes we just need to hear that reminder from a different voice. You know, you just need to be encouraged by somebody who's looking at it or telling it from a different perspective, but the commonalities exist in art and craft in writing. And, and hearing that from your perspective, not only about the three books that are on the more comedic side, is how I'm choosing to frame them, compared with the, you know, the personal story, one about conflict and relationships, and a great theme going with it that we were talking about with late fees. Both of those are dealing with craft and process from 
very similar approaches, but also completely different intentions. And so I loved hearing that description and uh, you know, everything that you provided about it. Hey, <laughs> I'm already thinking to myself, so what's my budget look like for this month? And uh, what, what, what can I invest in this and where can I come out on? Because I mean, hey man, like late fees is a good story. Um, for me, any father-son relationship is a, is a great opportunity to just talk about things that um, we all connect to. Um, I don't always talk about this, but my father passed away back in November, uh, four and a half year fight with uh, prostate cancer. And every time I do something, I'm reminded of a part of our relationship, the good, the bad, the healthy, the unhealthy. It, it's, it's a part of how you're raised when you're raised with someone and when you develop a relationship with them and there are great moments and not so great moments, but there's also a lot of things that others can relate to in their own experiences for you. Capturing that in something like late fees is, uh, is a great opportunity for anyone to be a part of. So I'm looking at all these different things and going, I can see myself investing in, uh, in this project for all the great stuff that you have to offer. And I loved hearing about the fun, the serious, and also about who you collaborated with for all of it. So, man, thank you for uh, bringing all of that today. A pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed chatting. Yeah. Uh, hey, really quick uh, for anyone who's watching, and I'll include it in the liner notes, but Kickstarter, you know, Samurai Slasher, and they'll be all set. Like, is that really all they have to do is just go to Kickstarter and then Samurai Slasher? Um, is there any other sort of search term that helps them find this project more quickly? Uh, the project is called the Samurai Slasher Collector Edition. Um, Perfect. And that, that should be okay. Um, there you if go. Anyone, if anyone finds me on Twitter, probably best not to follow me when a campaign is on because I'm awful and only talking about campaign, but you will be able to find it on my feed um, easily. And uh, what's your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, I'm Mike Garley. So M-I-K-E-G-A-R-L-E-Y. Perfect. I, I knew that we were communicating on this, so I knew it. But for anybody, <laughs> for anybody who doesn't have ESP and was not able to read either of our minds at this moment, <laughs> uh, we wanted to give you the opportunity to hear it out loud. Mike, I'm I'm really glad that we were able to make this happen. I loved yeah, talking me. about <laughs> Samurai Slasher, if only because of Samurai Cat, if only because it brought up a memory of a great book for me as a kid. But possibly we didn't know we needed. Right. And also the fact that um, I hadn't heard about this project yet. And now that I've heard about late fees, I, I'm interested even more so in both of them. And just from what I've experienced, I have a feeling anybody watching or listening, they're going to be as uh, excited and interested in I am as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> My pleasure, man. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. Folks, check the liner notes. Everything uh, you're looking for, I'll make sure to include there. And uh, it's been a great conversation with Mike Arley. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this amazing conversation with Mike Garley. I really enjoyed hearing all that he had to share about the uh, development and the introduction of this character, the inspirations behind it, and also some of the other projects that he shared with us, whether it's Late Fees or the original soundtrack. And I can tell you from the glimpses I've had of both, if this is something that caught your interest, why wait? I would say invest now, join the Kickstarter. But he also told you all the ways that you can reach out and make contact with him if you do have any questions before you commit, or if you just want to hear more about what he has to say when it comes to late fees, samurai slasher, and so much more. I really enjoyed talking with Mike about his project and I don't know if you can hear it, but in the background, there's more of that outdoor summer, spring noise. We're getting closer to those warmer days, and I love those hints and reminders, just like I loved all of the fun and joy that this conversation brought to me. Hope it brought the same for you. Love to hear your thoughts. Please send them my way. I leave you ways to contact me in the liner notes. And more importantly, I'd love to hear if you have a story you would like to see here on Storytelling with Seth. Till next time, I look forward to sharing another story with you. Thank you for joining me on this episode number 95.